it's not just a matter of being in time with the click. I mean, obviously we're talking about sequences and we're talking about stuff that if, if it's just not tight, it sounds sloppy. And I was just thinking right now about losing a click. The one time it ever happened to me, which was not uh, a mix issue. I am fairly energetic when I play and I, I did something and I pulled my in-ears clean out of my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was, this was at the, uh, you know, the farewell show 14 years ago. So, uh, I'm, I'm up on stage singing. This might be the last one. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory. But we drew the map. I'm going to do my best BBC world world service voice. Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, <laughs> please, Elon uh, Elon Rubin, welcome to Curious Creatures. That's a delightful introduction. Thank you for having me. I would imagine people would primarily and. Tell me if I'm wrong, but primarily they would know you as the drummer in Nine Inch Nails, right? I would say so, yes. But you do a lot of other things, which we're going to talk about. Yeah, it's- yeah. We're recording this. Uh, we're recording this in black and white. But for those of you li- listening in color, um, Elon is wearing uh, a very nice Hawaiian shirt this evening. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very snazzy. Very snazzy. Where, where did yeah. you pick that one up from, uh, Elon? Uh, you know, it's great that you pointed out my my black on black uniform i just have yeah. a closet full of 100 identical black t-shirts jeans hey, so on and so forth it was good for eric sati it's yeah. good enough for me <laughs> yeah well it makes it easy doesn't it i mean i always tell people you know I, i've tried for the last 35 years i walk into a clothes store and try and buy a colored <laughs> shirt and it's just not happening you know they're gonna it, be Black or white, that's it, or gray. There's, there's no point, and I think the amount of time that people waste in a lifetime trying to figure out what they're going to wear that day is time that could be better used elsewhere. So I, I just remove that from my daily routine. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. How, how do you think about food as well? And I've got a reason for asking this question because uh, there's somebody I know who does something similar this to This is you. for the food the yeah. food sanction, right? This is for the chefs that write mm-hmm. it. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I do appreciate food, but I would definitely label myself a meat and potatoes man. Okay, you know, as, okay. Long, as long as it's tasty, I feel like I can eat the same thing, right, almost daily. Okay, so I I had that conversation a million years ago with uh, Phil Thornley, who who produced you know some of the Cures records and mm-hmm. played with us for a while, and he said to me one day that he viewed it purely as fuel. Mm-hmm. Food is just fuel, and mm. that's it. The time spent eating it was time he could be doing, you know, other creative yeah. things. You know? Where, whereas for us, lol, the fuel was like alcohol, wasn't it? We there was very yeah. little time for eating. <laughs> yeah, I lived well, on that. My question, yes. my, my question in response to that is: is this gentleman on the thinner side? If he's not really enjoying his food and he's just eating for sustenance, is yeah. he very thin? Yes, he is actually. He's, 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 I, mm. I saw something. Somebody sent me uh, a, a, a video a couple of days ago where he was extolling my uh, drum playing on pornography, which makes me very happy that he said that. <laughs> so yeah, Phil, 
must be a couple of years younger than us. So he's like, you know, 16 or 16. And um, he still looks like wafer thin and very, very smart. And I'm not just saying that because he said nice things about me. I'm saying it because it's true. Yeah, that's when we had we had a metabolism that worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think I'm, uh, you know, I, I keep making excuses for myself because, yes, I am getting a little older, you know, 34 now. Oh, good Lord. I was making the excuse of, you know, <laughs> packing on some pandemic pounds, but I really yeah. got to get out there and run or do something, which I despise doing. Oh. You know, it's a real problem when I'm not touring. Yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, even I, uh, I, I <laughs> actually, my last gig was working with uh, with John. John Grant is a singer-songwriter. Um, and uh, it wasn't the most demanding in the drum department, mm-hmm. uh, and the food was good, and there was a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, <laughs> and when you're not kind of running the show, when you're just playing your gig, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. That I, I realized I used to burn a lot of pounds off just running around doing everything. You know, when we had yeah. like the creatures, it was just two of us. And uh, I was basically you did most uh, of it, right? Making sure all the band were okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd like sound check everything. Yeah, you mm. know. Yeah, yeah, you know, especially with uh, Nine Inch Nails or even with Angels and Airwaves, the stuff is energetic. A lot of it's up tempo. With Nine Inch yeah. Nails, it's very aggressive a lot of the time. Right. So I'm up there Wait, uh, doing. Whoa, uh, whoa. You, you know. Nine Inch Nails aggressive? What do you what, what yeah. do you mean? <laughs> it's quite a laid laid back band, really, aren't they? But it's it's funny because. On stage, I'm out there giving it my all, and when I'm not on tour, I'm pretty much in this chair, not right. doing that, you know. And I, I, I'm one of those people who detests exercising for the sake of it. Yeah, you know, I enjoy playing. I enjoy playing tennis, but that's me tricking my body into enjoying <laughs> physical exertion. But I commend the people who can just say, you know what, I'm going to go work out for an hour because I personally can't fucking stand it. <laughs> well, there's there's two two schools of thought there. When I was when I was like your age, mm-hmm. Elan, I would I thought pretty much the same. I would think, ah, oh, if I do exercise, I get dumb. You know, it mm-hmm. made me feel like I was getting dumber, right? So I didn't mm-hmm. want to do it, right? But mm-hmm. I would force myself to do it because you know I'm playing drums and stuff. And uh, as I've got older, though, the thing I've realised is it actually improves my. Uh, cognitive abilities to do some of that you know Mm -hmm. and it makes me feel happier because as one loses one's testosterone you can fall prey to depression you know and stuff like that so i actually find it very very good seeing as i don't do any other things anymore to you know alleviate my position as it Mm -hmm. were mentally Uh um so i actually now i'm a i'm a fan of it now i will go five days a week to the gym and I had to tell you something else. Impressive. Well, thank you. Yeah. The last, um, the last tour I did with the Cure, there were only three people in the morning in the gym on that tour. Mm-hmm. One, one was myself. Mm-hmm. One was Jason Cooper, the Cure's drummer, and mm-hmm. the other one was Simon Gallup. And I think that's no, you know, that's no mystery mm-hmm. to people that have followed the Cure that those three people, you know, myself included, would be at the gym. So what you're telling me is that um, the Cure depression is exercise, but it has to be done in the morning because that would be a problem too. <laughs> um, well, when I say when I say morning, <laughs> I, I mean morning in in the um, rock 
term of the word. I mean, you know, when okay. you wake up from when you are on tour. Okay. You know. Yeah. See, lol, lol, that that that's probably it. Probably Robert was probably in the gym mm. all night. Right. Yes. Because <laughs> he, Mr. Nocturnal, he's probably there yeah. all night. Well, I was. You know. Yeah. There, there you go. Yeah, could have been. Could have been. I I know that's not true. <laughs> not that it wasn't all Me night, too. but I know Robert was not in the gym. No, no, he was not. No, and um, you know, I, I, I changed my lifestyle a lot about thirty years ago, and, mm. and so you know, and, and I've realised that I'm a person of extremes. I'm black or white. You know, I'm either going to do everything go one way or everything the other way. So now, you know, I'm uh, non-drinking, non-drug-taking, non-smoking, vegan, you know. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I do. But back in the day, things were a little different. But, mm-hmm. You know, it's it just depends uh, how, long, how long you want to go before you get that message that, hey, this is not forever, and you could just check out. Here's a question. Between giving up drugs, alcohol, or meat, which one was the most difficult? Actually, giving up smoking was the most difficult. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sidestep the question. Yeah, smoking. No, that's interesting. Yeah, I couldn't give up smoking until about 17 years ago, and it was mm. like <laughs> uh, everything else I gave up 30 years ago. Uh, smoking was you know, just drive me mad to try and do that. Do you know, I'm going uh, to be really honest. It's a good one because I thought, Alcohol was hard, but it wasn't. It, it, it was easy to stop. It was, wasn't so easy to stay stopped. And I tried a sure. few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, smoking, easy. Put them down. Like, they smell. They really, like, so <laughs> I. And when I got into the studio, when I got my own computer and things like that for the first time, I realized that it was either smoking or, you know, doing the work. Because it, mm-hmm. it, it was a small studio room. And I also saw the inside of some machines in studios where smoking was, and they were full. You you only need to see that once. You don't have to open up a a lung or anything. Um, Well, there's the other thing. So smoking, drinking, drugs were like always recreational. You know, somebody else bought them. I might have indulged, but I never really, I didn't send the taxi across London, you know, with a, yeah, I might have done. Yeah, that's what I. That's what I, I raised an arched an eyebrow there, dear re- listeners. Yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> oh, we need a mix of that song. Can you get it now? It's like three in the morning. Send a taxi. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, uh, but the hardest thing was, I think it was meat because I was not a big meat eater. Uh, uh, it was very. It wasn't a big part of my diet. But I did like things I grew up with, like those little pork pies you got at parties. Ooh, ooh, and, yeah. you know, there's like pastry, and especially if they were cold, it meant that the jelly hadn't melted, and it was just, and God knows what was in them. So this, this is where I come to the, uh, big, the big owner. You know? Revelation. So I'm, I, I've left France. I'm, I'm hovering around some you know, car park near Tesco in Bedford somewhere, north of London, thinking, oh, I really like the sound of a pork pie, you know. So <laughs> I go into the supermarket with the, under the guise of buying things I do need, you know, maybe some juice, something healthy, and then I slip one of these pies in as well. And it's only little, so nobody's noticing. <laughs> you know, and I go back to the car in the car park, and I said, <laughs> and now we can do the... <laughs> thing, uh, whatever it is. And, and then 
then I feel really guilty and then I feel bad. So I, I'm getting over that now. I, I'm not killing myself too much. Uh, yeah, I have to admit, I, uh, I, I'm far too much of a carnivore to, to give it up. Now, I will say that uh, since, since being married, my, my wife is a pescatarian. So Yes, so you're heading that way. Yeah, we just naturally eat things or go to places that are conducive to both our diets. So I have had a sort of residual decline in my meat intake, <laughs> but let's say she's out with friends. <laughs> Something in my body says, eat a lot of meat <laughs> while she's gone. Not not that she not that she minds, but it's just I need it. It's it's too good. I think you you have to listen to your body. Your body's telling you what you need yeah. a, a lot of the time. Yeah. Unless it's particularly really, really bad for you. Then, then mm. don't listen to your body yeah. then. <laughs> uh, children. Children, please don't listen to your body when it says eat that thing that you My my body used to tell tell me a whole load of crap that I should I should eat and do and stuff, you know. No, actually like, see this is what it wasn't we were not really listening to our bodies. It, it was our twisted adult brains that were what it us. is. Is, yeah. to do all that bad stuff the one thing that i'm really surprised in there you know and I, I think that i know you fairly well is about the smoking so i don't think you were ever really a, a smoker smoker then because it was kind of hard that one me i went from you know smoking the regular tip cigarettes to you know yeah. rolling my own cigarettes yeah. which is kind of like yeah. more like kind of good if you're behind the kit so you just like right spit spit it out and it won't burn a hole in the carpet it just goes out right. you know right and not that i ever did that you know you can't really no, no, drum not. with a, no, no. a cheroot hanging out your mouth you know not that steve jones ever ever stumped a cigarette out in the middle of a really expensive studio on the carpet while he was playing either Here's a question for you guys. Now, when you, the way you have your drums either set up at home or whenever you 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 play for pleasure, how do you like right. the sound of your drums? You like them nice and open? You like them dampened? What's what's your personal taste as players? I have a very small um, bunker in Berlin, and it's a drum room. Um, I've heard of a bunker in Berlin before. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, I know where it is. I couldn't get to use that particular one because they demolished it. Um, but I, I well, it's under my, a parking lot now, right? It's under a building, under a building, under a building. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I the first street I landed in and got, you know, found a place to rent and. Um, about 10 years ago but anyway i still have my drums down there but i was lucky because there's like a, an inner courtyard the, these old uh, warehouse buildings in, which are kind of residential but they used to have factories in the back or now they're full of art studios and design studios and i've got a flamenco dance troupe above my <laughs> particular thing which is it, not good fun when you're trying to record something so the, the in the room i share it with uh, an orchestral percussionist he has five full-size timpani he has a marimba tubal bells we've got lots of percussion down there in a small space so when i hit my bass drum it goes through five timpanies ah oh, so you get a nice ring huh <laughs> and two there's two other kits down the other end of the room and i love this i love this sound i have still have the old Gretsch kit that I had which is kind of oversized and I, I rarely dampen it I just I love hearing the the note of the shell and the the zing of the hoop I, I play on the hoops and and to me that's I'm probably I've gone I've done my hearing no good especially in that small room 
but it's the bane of every sound engineer's life and and we had this thing where we and i still do if i get to a studio i rip all the gaffer tape off doesn't matter how yeah. carefully somebody's put it on there you know you can tell that they put gaffer tape on a little like looks like a caterpillar's crawled across the head yeah you know and you go like get rid of that get rid of the sponge and you know and then you're left with a really crap sounding drum and then you got to work on it yeah and i love that part of setup as well i love some drums you just can't. You 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 keep going and you go and you and you change the heads and you realize the drum's out yeah. of shape and the hoop doesn't fit. It makes no bloody difference after all. Yeah, I know. But sometimes you hit a magic thing where the drum just goes and it's live <laughs> and it's live and it's like touching electricity almost. You know. Well, I'm not I'm not an endorsee of this particular thing, but I found something the other day because I a few years ago. I asked, somebody asked me, they, they wanted to make me a custom kit. And I said, okay. They said, well, what do you want it to be like? What do you want on it? I said, well, just basic, you know, Ringo, four piece, you know, but I want you, I want it to sound like the album I did, this album, Pornography. And I told them that's how I want it to sound, which it's going to be a bit difficult because that was all to do with, you know, mics and the room mm -hmm. and stuff as well. But they made me something that was great. They've got the loudest frigging snare drum I've ever had, yeah. you know, and, and it's like a chamber snare. So it has like two shells inside one another. And, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah and, and it just amplifies it. So it's really loud. And I had a lot of problem like tuning it up, getting it so that it was a nice sound, a nice crack to it, but that, that it sounded, that it kept going, that it didn't have... It wasn't just sort of stopped in the middle of space somewhere, you know, like, and, and I, I tried little gels and stuff and none of that crap worked, you know. Somebody told me, oh, get this, which is like, a, it's like a little rubber ring that fits around the top and it's also part of a, a, a drum head and you just lay it on and you have all the middle part to do it. Doesn't You don't even attach it in any way and it just makes that beautiful thud with the, the, the real snare crack behind it and it's instantaneous. So, you know, I, that's nice. Yeah. So I, I, I really like that. And, and to your question, well, you know, I have a little home, I've just seen it. I have a little home studio in my garage. That's, like, that's, that's where I'm going to live, right? That's where you're going to live. Yeah. Well, actually I had to build around today to, to tell him what, what you need. You know, you can leave the drum kit, leave the drum kit and then I'll be home from home. <laughs> I like to play very loud, you know, that's it. It's like, you know, as loud as possible, mainly because I've got hearing loss as well. So, you know, I want to hear that. But There's no hope for us, really. We've both got tinnitus. There's no hope, no. And do you find this as well? It's it's really, it was kind of upsetting to me. Paul Thompson in The Cure, you know, is like one of the loudest guitarists you're ever going to hear. His big hero is Jimmy Page. You know? Same. Yeah, right. <laughs> so he played with Jimmy Page, with Page and Plant a few years back, and Paul told me, Page would come up to him and go, you are so friggin' loud. You know, why? And it's like, this come from Jimmy Page, right? So, yeah. <laughs> um, so we used to isolate Pearl on the side of the stage with like Perspex stuff and things, you know, because if you, if you walked across the front of the stage with the cure, you, you know, like you walk across the front of me, you'd hear a bit of me, a bit of Robert, some drums and stuff. Walk across Robert, you'd hear like, you know, Robert's voice and stuff and his guitar, all the stuff you'd expect. You walk in front of Pearl and all you hear is Pearl how the hell he kept in time with everybody because he couldn't hear anybody else at all, you know? Yeah. But he's got perfect hearing. He's got perfect hearing, you know, and, and we're all left with less of it. Well, I think it's because it's like drums are so explosive, you know, your, your hearing hasn't got time to 
adjust. Like when we're on the kit and we hit the kit, it doesn't sound loud. But when somebody else gets on your kit and, and they hit, like they tap the snare drum, you go like, ah, that's so, <laughs> so loud. Yeah. Unfortunately, the only hearing loss that I'm aware of, because I had a, a test done a couple of years ago before I got some new molds, I have a notch in my hearing from the metronome, ah. which is a, it's a bummer. But uh, I, And I don't even notice it because it's such a specific frequency. And right. as you can imagine, fear of losing the click during a Nine Inch Nail show is the worst and I always have it far above everything else, but it's just such a persistent thing. It's such a volume that you just see it on the graph. Wow. But you have like, I mean, we're, I think I, I certainly had to, with the advent of in-ears, then monitoring became a different ball game, you know. I tried early headphones for the first time. The Banshees were using track. And it was literally like dat tapes, you know, running li live. Yeah. But um, I remember the, the, re the realization that if you lost the click, you know, I used to have. Oh, it's, it's terrifying. I had the system with the creatures where we were running sequence stuff, but we had no in ears. So it had, we had to have silence and had to have a way of following the click without it being heard. Uh -huh. Now, so Susie couldn't hear it. I had no headphones. What I had was a, a system that was devised for another band in, in Britain. And I got their drummer and I said, what, what's LEDs? One green, one red. Yeah. And they were down funnels so that they wouldn't be affected by stage lighting. Oh, wow. And it was red, green, 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 red, green, green. So I could watch. Mm -hmm. And after a few shows, you it's in muscle memory anyway. So once you've mm -hmm. got the, yeah. the BPM set and you know the song... But it was just that little security of seeing it. Yeah. Actually, that sounds like a really good idea. I mean, it's funny because this, this weekend, some friends of mine asked me to play on the track and they said, you know, and they're like, you know, of this generation. Sorry. sorry. You know. I hate this generation. It's fine. It's <laughs> his first thing on their mind. So they're like, well, how, what, where do you want the click? And I said, you know what? I would prefer just to play, like turn the bass up because ah. the bass is sequenced, you know. Mm. Turn the bass up, and I'd prefer to play against the bass, you know, and, and the voice, yeah. and the voice, because that's what I always do with the, the gear. I'm playing against the bass and the voice. I'm not playing against, you know, something ticking away in my head because I'm always thinking, oh, shit, am I behind? Am I in? Oh, am I, I'm in front. I'm in front. I'm in behind, you know. Hate it. I'd rather play with the musicality of, of even if it is something that's generated. So when you've got something that's... The music of Danish Nails, the the, the 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 type of accuracy required in a way. You 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 yeah. You, I mean, you've not got a lot of uh, milliseconds to play with. No, and uh, it's not just a matter of being in time with the click. I mean, obviously, we're talking about sequences, and we're talking about stuff that if if it's just not tight, it sounds sloppy. And I was just thinking right now about losing a click. The one time it ever happened to me, which was not. Uh, a mix issue. I am fairly energetic when I play, and I, I did something, and I pulled my in ears clean out of my head. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it was, it was. Um, this was at the uh, you know the farewell show 14 years ago. So uh, I'm I'm up on stage singing. This might be the last one. This is the first song of the set, which is a nine eight. You know, not 
one that you play to too often. And fortunately, there are counts in certain parts of the songs just to make sure that everything kind of locks back in. And as I I pull this you know, this pair of in-ears out of my head, my my face goes white and I'm just like freaking out. I see people starting to turn around to look at me, wondering why I'm drifting. <laughs> and thank God there's a, a bridge, a break in the song towards the bridge where I was able to get them back on. <laughs> the count comes in and then we all lock back in. But that was just a moment I I never wish to experience again. And there have there have been moments where I'm sure you guys have experienced this sometime. Either the mixing desk goes out or something due to a power failure. Yeah. Hmm. And everything cuts out and you're wondering, is it just me or is everyone not hearing this either? <laughs> and it's, it's terrifying. It's awful. Well, my, my worst moment recently was, was uh, on the Reflections tour, you know, which was a few years back. And uh, Robert said, okay, well, you know, we'll do the first three albums. We'll do all the B-sides, everything that we put out. And some of those songs we never played live ever. You know, we just sort of did them in the studio. And that, so we had to figure out how to play them. And there was this one song, I forget which one it was now, but but there's a point in one song where it's like, well, we're probably just going to let it go for a few more bars. And when it comes to the time, you know, that this section comes back in, I'll, you know, this is Robert, I'll just raise the uh, guitar up a little bit like this and you'll know that's the signal that it's four bars into the next you know uh. next section and we go like okay great come the night of the show at the Sydney Opera House and the cure have had the same lighting designer for, for years he, he favours lots of smoke and dry eyes and stuff anything like that when he can get hold of it so halfway through this song that we've never played live before uh, the dry ice comes and it starts to rise higher and then the smoke comes and I can't see you know it's at the opera house so I'm fair way across the stage I can't see Robert's head let alone the guitar I can't see anything you know mm-hmm. and we keep playing away and I'm thinking oh shit when's it going to end when, when are we going to end and suddenly I just see this guitar fly out of the top of the smoke he's put it above his head like this you know just to sort of wave it up like a flag that is funny in any sort of difficulties due to smoke i feel everyone's pain <laughs> yeah i couldn't find my drum set on stage yeah. just for the first song yeah <laughs> you know you, you hear you hear the the intro going and i'm like okay time to go. where are the drums and i actually <laughs> ended up alessandro who's the sort of the, the setup next to me with his keyboards <laughs> and whatever i'm like wrong, wrong instrument i must be over there it's terrifying but i used to do that but it was usually due to a, you know a few large shots of something beforehand which way is the stage i've only had that, that that feeling once where i go i really really can't i couldn't hit that bass drum tonight if i hit that bass drum i'm going to do it wrong yeah when the kit the kit is just looking and every the whole gig is going like you're gonna fuck up. You're really gonna mess up tonight. Yeah. You know? <laughs> do we? Do we all have those moments? Mm. Yeah. You reminded me of the, one of the worst ones for me. With like, you know, I was playing keyboards and I'm stuck on this riser up in the middle of the things, and all the smoke's going, and then the strobes mm. start going, yeah. and the strobes like I was like. I better hold on to the side of the keyboards, otherwise I'm going to fall over because this is just making, it's setting my equilibrium, you know, sideways and I can't see anybody or anything and I'm just like, oh, when's it going to stop? You know, I wouldn't call it PTSD, but when I hear mention of smoke and strobes, I'm immediately (laughs) transported to another place in my mind. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) It's not a nice place, is it? Not a good place. Oh, goodness. 
I noticed something doing a bit of due diligence, uh, Elon, yeah. <laughs> is that um, I, I had a look at your website and I saw that lovely video you have of, of a song with you playing all the instruments. And I noticed, and maybe this is just because um, it's for video, but I noticed that you seem to play every other instrument right-handed, but drums, you play like the, the left and the right hands are doing opposite things than I would do. What is that? Yes, that is, it's very, um, very good observation, I should say. I, uh, <laughs> so drummer's observation. It's a drummer's yes, observation. yes. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I would consider myself right-handed, generally speaking. The only two things I do left-handed are hit the hi-hat and right. Right. I don't know how that came to be, but as a kid learning to play drums, my dad once taught me something and said, all right, I'm going to go into the house and come back and get me when you've figured it out. And, and he left me there and I was practicing it. And I just had a very naive thought as a seven and a half, eight year old. I'm like, why am I hitting this if this is closer? Yeah. And that, that was it. it. It wasn't any sort of knowledge of thinking, well, I write with my left hand. I must be left-handed. Therefore I'll play drums that way because it's, it's really not, a left-handed approach per se, because you know I'm still hitting the bass drum with the right. Like uh, Dom Howard from Muse, who's a good friend, is the only proper left-hander who I know, and one of the only proper left-handers I can think of. Yeah. But it, it is funny when people realize that I play open-handed, like, oh, there's another one of us out there. But I remember ca calling my dad and saying, okay, I got it, I figured it out, and I started playing, and he was very perplexed because he's like, well, it sounds right, but it does yeah. not look right. <laughs> and and he, he let me proceed that way, but he took me to a, a drum clinic. It was a, a Dave Weckl drum clinic. Okay. And come the, the Q&A portion of the clinic, my dad asked what, and said, what do I do? <laughs> and he said... Let him do whatever comes naturally. Now, that's good. As as an adult, yeah. As an adult, the only thing I can make sense of is I, I sort of see the left and right sides of my body split between power and in finesse. And when I say power, I mean I throw, I swing a racket, I kick everything right-handed. But when it comes to the left hand, you know, you're writing, you're on the fretboard, you're hitting the hi hat. It's all a bit more delicate. And that's the only thing I can think of is something that makes sense to me as to why the things I do left-handed. It wasn't Ringo. Ringo was left-handed but played a right-handed kit. Yes, which is why his uh, his signature way of phrasing fills is the way it is because he, he'd stop playing to lead with his left, which I think is an amazing way of, of coming up with that. That's a, that's a thing that's, that, that, that's revealed itself to me over time. Uh, and the advent of some analytical stuff as well, which never w was available. But um, I think it's the relaxation, maybe in introducing a click as well. But I used to always have to keep at least eights going, you know, somewhere on my kit. And I started to do it with my left foot, which kind of... Yes. It was just that. And I thought, 
hang on, I could put a tambourine on there. And that saw Bonham with his tambourine as well. I think uh, an element of the Led Zeppelin rhythm section that maybe a lot of people wouldn't go to because, you know, riffs and, and heaviness and whatever sort of stereotypes are attached to Led Zeppelin. The Motown swing is a colossal element of, of why those things felt as good as they did. Yeah. So there's that mode. It's almost like a groove based swing as opposed to a swing, swing. John Paul. There you go. Yes. Oh, it's absolute, absolute gold. But, but yeah, that, that sort of, you listen to great Motown tracks and rhythm sections, even though they may be yeah. straightforward, backing a, a pop song so to speak they just yeah. they have a, a a groove in them and that directly in my estimation led to why those riffs just were as, as satisfying as they were I, thought, I, thought, I think you're absolutely right i think you know as human beings that's what we look for we look for things that are satisfying you know I, I thought it was interesting the introduction of motown into this discussion because yeah it, it, it was it was so uh, much a part of um, in Northwest Britain at that time, Motown and uh, Soul, Northern Soul, right, right, and the all night parties. The da- it was all about dance, yeah. But there was the, the swing elements, and it, and these things kind of come in, and but only introduce themselves maybe in your playing as you get a little older, and you don't really know where it came from uh-huh. because reggae came into Britain as well with. Uh, the generation of um, migrant workers that came over from Jamaica, and the music followed them, and then, and being around Liverpool and I'm sure London, but it, it, as a port, Liverpool was a key place where we had a lot of migrant workers, and as long with the Irish, we had a lot of Jamaican families, and and the music followed, and and reggae became a, a part of that our growing up culture. And it was so so alien. Yeah, absolutely. And and I always wondered, where did I get this kind of African feel from? You know, that this love of that, that love of the sound of uh, bigger and fatter and rounder and not quite together sort of drumming. I know this is probably going to cause an eye roll, in, in which I'm apologizing in advance. In terms of <laughs> no, in, in in terms of reggae, I'm not very knowledgeable. And I love now. Here's where the eye roll is going to come in. Mm. I absolutely love the police, and I know that Sir Copeland, Sting. I know they 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 picked they picked wah, up what they wah, picked up and they incorporated wah, wah. it. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in in terms of the inversion of where the backbeat is and that kind of stuff, I find it very interesting. But whereas the police kind of get this uh, white reggae thing, for lack of a better term, what I found interesting is that. Stuart Copeland actually grew up in the Middle East, and he, I heard him say somewhere that the reggae rhythm to him made sense because of a Lebanese rhythm that he grew up listening to that had the same inversion of, of the backbeats. And I, I don't know if you call it baladi or something like that, but having grown up listening to that, when reggae and punk and all these things were, were fusing in the UK, he apparently thought... I can do that. I, I know how that, that rhythm works. And I just thought that was really fascinating and, and interesting because there's so many places where rhythms 
become unique and they invert in their own ways and then everything kind of cross-pollinates and um, it's funny that the police to some being a sort of, of gateway into that style of playing it didn't actually originate from there which is i just think is interesting i think they got away with it i think stuart copeland got got away with a kind of hybrid because there was enough like english rock going on and there was enough enough space guitar coming in from andy um that that they i call him andy Mm. I, I don't know him, <laughs> but, but we all know the police, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, Stuart Copeland, yeah, it, it, because if if you were like became like uh, UB40 from Birmingham, surrounded by musicians that, that, that came, came from their, their roots, it's it's sort of uh, you know as much as I you know nice guys, but it sounded sort of a pastiche in in a, in a way because. I don't think reggae in Jamaica really stood still. It always seemed to be adopting beats from pop music from other parts of the world. And I'm just making, the, first of all, just the sound of the drums different. It wasn't necessarily always put, put in the snare drum, whether, you know, dropping the one, wherever it might be. Um, so Stuart, in a way, was kind of doing the same game, like putting in, jamaican or a rhythm that sounded like reggae and but then going into like hard rock as well so the mix was seamless as much as i hate to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. also the the aesthetic of the traditional grip i think just makes him a very uh, unique player now i was actually going to mention we were talking about playing to clicks or you're saying playing to the bass track or whatever mm-hmm. as opposed to playing to a metronome Stuart Copeland liked to play to echoes as a method of staying in time without playing to a click, which I think is unique. Oh, no, he's just being weird. He's just <laughs> yeah. being weird. That's what he is. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of playing to that, that kind of thing. We tried different things in the studio so we didn't have to rely on a click. And I used to play to the voices in my head. <laughs> no, they, were, they were quite good. <laughs> I still do, lol, still do, yes. I harmonize with my with the voices in my head. Oh, I used to harmonize with the ex-speller in the (laughs) toilet of the Liverpool Philharmonic (laughs) pub. Um, I used to go around the pubs, and depending on the time of day and the time of evening and my state of inebriation, um, (laughs) I'd I'd have to find the pitch of the hmm and then harmonize with it. And I'd be standing there pretending... And say, you've been gone ages. Says, yeah, it's a particularly good expeller and ye old crack. <laughs> it probably drives my wife nuts, but when I have a electronic toothbrush and that always goes to the same pitch. And as a habit, I just go, I go to ma- I go to major yeah. and then minor. Yeah. It's like it's just satisfying. <laughs> yes, I'm teaching my I'm teaching my children the same <laughs> trick at the moment. That's good. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas Kay. Music production, Jackknife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com 
And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.